Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Off the Bench with Bell and Cannell. Um, special Friday episode. Dave, welcome welcome to the show. It's my first time with you, with me driving, so beware. I'm a, like... Really bad driver. My seatbelt is on. All right. I'm only happy you don't have the pink pants on. I, I, and they're frumpy too. Nobody told me they were frumpy. I'm walking totally around. Frumpy. It should Dirty. be fun though, right? It should be fun. We got Dave Dorn coming on, uh, later in the show. It's Friday, so we'll get a little five star Q and A. Uh, I want to start with you though, because obviously, um, you know, your background is, is front office work. I spent a year in the front office and we talked off air about, you know, kind of the reason I left, which was like the workload and me not being able to be around my family a little bit around that time of year. And it's that time of year in the MLB right now. Um, with the trade deadline approaching, July 31st is the non-waiver trade deadline. Take us into the mood and like the work schedule of a, of a MLB front office right now. It's that time of year every day. Yeah. That's the problem with front office. After 18 years, I can tell you there's no break. What's going? It's it, there's a rhythm of a season. You must have had that in basketball as well, mm-hmm. right? Now's the deadline, and then they'll be toward the end of the season, and then you think the off season's great. My favorite thing being in the front office is when friends would come up to you and say, "Oh, it's off season. What are you doing now?" Well, you're actually preparing for the whole season. You're building your roster. You're setting your giveaways. You're doing your sales and your marketing. But now's the time that's focused on the field. You have till July 31st to try to make your team better or make it worse. So you're either trying to save money, spend money, prepare for the future, try to win now, or do nothing. The only thing I didn't like doing was doing nothing. Doing nothing. Uh, So to to that point... Like when you're in there and you got to decide whether you're going to do something or do nothing, how many people were in your trusted circle? I mean, every front office is different. David Griffin, there was probably six, seven of us um, in a room with our ideas and probably only like three or four of us that he really, really trusted. Like how many did you, how many did you have in your circle? I would say that our owner trusted two people. I trusted four people and there were a total of seven people. Who would be involved? Yeah, and of course, in baseball, it's not just the seven inner circle. Like in basketball, you've got scouts who are looking at players because you're trading for minor leaguers often, right? Or acquiring minor leaguers or trading your own minor leaguers that you may have only seen one time or sometimes no times. Shockingly, GMs in baseball they count on their scouts all the time, but they have to stand up there publicly. This is my favorite thing. Yes, we're we're acquiring John Doe. He's a 19-year-old single-A player. Nope, can't say I've ever seen him. Seen his name before, but I got a guy telling me that he's going to be great. Right. And if he's not, I'm the one who's getting fired. Got to be a high trust level there with those scouts, Have right? Have to be. Got to pick them. All right, so then last night, obviously, Aaron Judge, big news, fractured his left wrist, uh, chip fracture of his right wrist, pardon me. He'll be out for three weeks. Uh, the good news for the Yankees is over those three weeks, he's, they've probably got the easiest schedule, most home games uh, in the MLB. But does that – change the Yankees direction approaching this deadline is this is this something they could sustain and ride out or you, you see know, them the making Yankees a move? can mash but they've got now judge out for three weeks they've got Sanchez out for four weeks and the timing though is outstanding so you know all of life is timing as you know one year we had Mike Lowell get hit and break his hand on August 31st with the FIU product to set uh Mike Lowell from yeah. Miami absolutely yeah. That's funny. I associate him only as a Marlin. Ah. He was great. He was a Marlin, but he's up at bat, breaks his hand, and it's the day playoff rosters have to be set. So we had a trade for Jeff Conine, Mr. Marlin, that day from the Orioles. Judge right now by getting hurt, the Yankees have some time. 
Here's the thing with this injury. It will heal, but it is three weeks guaranteed. That's before he can swing a bat in game action. And he was able to have a single after breaking his wrist right. last night. It's a tough dude. So here's what happens. He is such a, right? It's It hurts so bad to get hit by a pitch right here. I've only been hit by a pitch that was thrown in Little League at 50 miles an hour. <laughs> Imagine like 95 <laughs> right on the wrist. Yeah. So the Yankees have a choice. I think they've got to go out and get a bat. They've done a great job by getting Britain. And last night they got Jay Happ as well, a pitcher. But their lineup's hurting. Missing Judge is going to cause Neil Walker to get more playing time. And Neil Walker, to me, puts the M in mediocre. He's not a championship player. He is a fill-in at best. So if they have a chance to augment their their lineup, they're going to do it. What does that mean for Giancarlo in terms of his day-to-day? I think Giancarlo is now going to play more outfield. So he's going to be happy because he wants to be out there playing more. He's been DHing probably four or five out of days a week. Yep. And he'd prefer to play in the field because you're more in the game. It's more exciting. The only thing I'm worried about is, has he gotten used to DHing mm. now that it's already July? He's been doing it for several months. So are his legs under him? Aaron Boone's been playing him in the outfield a little bit, but now he's going to have to play more. Yeah, interesting. All right, so another deal that went down last night, Cole Hamels was dealt to the Cubs. And I guess my question was that, is is he still a reliable you know, option in the postseason, or are we relying too much on his reputation at this point? Raja, when's the, let's talk about the hot tub time machine. Yeah, yeah. If we One were of my favorite. Hot, did you love them? I love that movie. I right. loved it. If you're in the hot tub time machine and you go back, close your eyes, and you're back to 2008, yeah. wow, the Cubs got an ace. Unfortunately, you wake up, it's 2018, the Cubs have a four now, mm. a four and a half. He's okay. He's fine. He'll give him innings. He's actually going to fit in probably in the four slot in that rotation. Will he be a main cog in their run in October? I don't think so. They didn't give up much. They're only paying $4 million. Why not do it? Good depth. Right. Case of injury. But for me, everyone from Philly, right? Anyone from Philly involved in this show? Anyone love <laughs> yeah, Philly? Yeah, no, not that I know of. Anybody? Anybody in the back there? So all they do <laughs> is they get excited, right? Because it's Cole Hamels. Right. They want him a title. But hey, it's a long, long time ago. Yeah. The Cubs are currently, they're leading the NL by two and a half games over the Brewers. And I guess the point you're making there is if you can get it, and if you can get it for cheap, and it helps get it. bolster, get it. Um, so look, talk to me right now, because how does the approach, like for in-season deals, you know, differ from, from what you handle in the off-season? It, that's a great question. So during the season, you're watching your team play, starting in spring training, and you see that you see needs. You see that all of a sudden, man, you know, we need a right-hander off the bench because the right-hander we brought into spring training where there was a competition, we invited five guys and we put one on the team in April. But now we see, boy, he kind of stinks, right? We need someone better. And we say in the playoffs, we have a roster we're going to put together. We're going to be playing the Red Sox. Uh, we could use some speed. Let's find it. Let's find a speed guy and get him on the roster. So you're doing things from need. You have injuries in the starting rotation. You have lack of performance in the bullpen. So you're going to augment in that way. Off season, you're constructing your roster. So you're doing it much more on dream versus reality. Right. In season is all reality. Handle what we have in front of us now. Off season is your whiteboard with your depth and your rotation. Perfect world. Your batting order. Everything's perfect. I did not like off season meetings because I knew our team was not going to look like that no matter what right. come the season and certainly come October. How close were you in 2008 to get Manny Ramirez? Who? What? What? Oh. So close. 
we wanted we, we we actually we thought he was done, but he would have been a nice addition to come in. And yeah. we were trying to make a playoff push, and we tried, but they were asking. It's very funny you ask that. What they were asking for for Manny was as though he had been the Manny of old. Right. But he was older. He was the older Manny and just not worth it. And people were trying to take advantage of the fact that we liked names. One of our things is we like to bring in names sometimes past their prime, maybe most times past their prime. And that would hurt us because we'd end up giving more than we'd get. Yeah. So to, to that point, and this is, this is great on the rundown, Debo, because I mean, you, you could have predicted, uh, the way this was going to go, but, what is the fine line between buying and selling? Because at that point, they're selling, you're buying, um, and the Nationals are supposed to be World Series contenders. They're reportedly considering uh, selling. They're 51 and 51, currently seven games back to the Phillies in first place. What's the fine line during the season between buying and selling? Like what? Like, so what we do when we were deciding whether to buy or sell, if our owner was having chest pains and he was feeling mortal and he didn't have a World Series ring, we're going to err on the side of buying because we're trying to get him a ring and we're trying to win. If you've got a younger owner and a front office that has the security of a long-term contract and you realize that you can't get it done, you may be a seller because you have more time. So windows of opportunity. It's You try to keep the windows open as long as possible. You try to be as rational as you can. It's really hard in baseball because right now the Nationals, think about it, right now their notional numbers would tell you they're not going to make the playoffs. Statistically speaking, they have a long hill to climb. But their owner's 92 years old. Yeah. They want to win for him. They've never gotten out of the LDS. So the odds are they're going to buy. It's very hard to give up on a season because all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, all the work we did, we have to now wait till next April. Yeah. That's interesting. It's a, there's so many similarities. In front, I mean, front office work, all the different sports, very similar mindsets going into them in terms of when you want to get something done or why you would make a move and windows of opportunity. It's it's really interesting because I've never really spoken with somebody who does it for another sport. Um, let's move on to another segment uh, called Matters a Lot, Matters a Little, or Doesn't Matter at All. Okay. Uh, so we'll start with, obviously, the MLB trade so far. That's a hot topic today. Left-hand pitcher J.A. Happ from the Blue Jays to the Yankees. Little, doesn't matter, uh, or matters a lot. I'm willing to say a little. I really want to say it doesn't matter at all because he's a mediocre starter. He was named an all-star, so everyone's calling him all-star J.A. Happ. He did have a few good years a while ago, but for me... When you're the Yankees, it matters only a little. For a different team, may have mattered a lot. All right, how about reliever Zach Britton from the Orioles to the Yankees? Again, I'm going to stick with little because he's, their bullpen was their area of strength. Right. I wanted them to take all their prospects and go get a real number one starter, like a DeGrom or a Madison Baumgartner. So I'm going to go a little. So J.A. Happ, because Danny's on here all the time talking about the Yankees need another arm. Yankees need another arm. They'll go out and get it. The J.A. Happ, although he's a starter, doesn't check the box. Not good enough Not for, for you. Me. I think what Danny's saying is they need another starter, which they need, is true. They need the guy you were just talking about. But, but that's my point with Danny. You've got to, if you're going to do it, do it. Right. Like, get all the way in there. If you're Brian Cashman, say, you know what? We're winning the World Series. We're catching the Red Sox. Screw the Red Sox and forget the Astros. We're going out and getting the best. I hear you. He ended up going mediocre for me. All right. Uh, right-hand pitcher Nathan Evaldi from the Rays to the Red Sox. Nathan Evaldi, we had him for several years. He is, uh, I'm addicted to him and his arm. It's unreal. It just comes out nice and easy and fast. And then all of a sudden he's got Tommy John. Yeah. He comes back and it comes out great. He's throwing 99. And then he has Tommy John again. This is it, right? One more Tommy John, three and you're out, three strikes. He's going to be good for the Red Sox. I wouldn't count on him in October because I don't think he's made right. 
to pitch in October, but he'll be good for them. It matters a lot right now. When you say made right. Right up here. Up top. Right up top. And how do you have to be made to be able to pitch in October? Uh, you have to have a short memory. You have to have uh, an absolutely wide-open sphincter. Yeah, 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 yeah. in the playoffs, right, if people get tight, all of a sudden you're holding onto the ball a little extra and you get wild and, Ev- and Evaldi has that, you know, he can get wild in that way. One of the things we look for in our players is this. Yeah, sure. This matters. We've seen so many great baseball players and great basketball players in my time. I love basketball. What talent? It's just empty. It's a void. Yeah. You know what? You're not going to win with that. Yeah, it's hard. If, if you're, some people aren't built for the, the big stage. That's it. They're built for regular season. Or guys built for preseason, but not everybody's built for I playoffs. Like them guys built for the big stage. All right, last one. Reliever uh, Joaquin Soria from the White Sox to the Brewers. Uh, the Brewers trail the Cubs by two and a half games in the NL Central. <laughs> it matters that much. They needed starters. Right. They're just doing it to do it. They're in the race. They're trying to show their clubhouse. They're doing something. I'm fine with him as a reliever. They've got the best, one of the best pens in Major League Baseball, like the Yankees, except the Brewers aren't the Yankees. And I was shocked because the Brewers have gone after Zach Greinke, CC Sabathia at the deadline before. Frontline starters. Right. That's what they needed to do this year. And they settled with Soria. And they're fading. No, recently they had the best record in the National League, and they're in the middle of a major fade, and they do Soria? I don't Come even on, know baseball, man. but Joaquin Soria does not sound like he's the answer to, to much. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> look like he's the answer either. <laughs> All right. So anyway, let's move, let's keep it moving. We'll move on to another segment. Debo's in my ear. Uh, you have to see it. Team USA men's basketball is out in Vegas for its minicamp. Uh, all the players took their summer headshots, including John Wall, who's getting roasted on the internet right now uh, for his headshot. Turn to the right. Jeez. He looks heavy too, doesn't he? Left. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan. You tell me front office work. Like, I'm not a big fan of this trend of hair just being a complete mess and facial hair being all over the place. I actually like nicely groomed people, but to me, he just got done at the Bellagio, right? <laughs> he just got out of hide about 25 minutes prior to that. His eyelids are so heavy that they can They're barely stay open. open. Yeah. And he found that t-shirt crumpled up in the bottom of his laundry bag oh, in his room. It's not even washed. No, like he didn't not even, even. He didn't even get it out last night for the <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, you have to hear it. We covered the elevating and developing CJ uh, McCullum beef. And uh, yesterday, Kevin Durant was combative with a reporter, I right, go figure, uh, who insisted he was the one who was mad at the situation. Well, me. Because of what he had, what he had said when he answered that other trip. So why is he in a, why isn't he upset? He doesn't seem to be upset now. So why am I upset? Though? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just thought when you put the you did this podcast, you, yeah, and you put it the effing podcast and snake. <laughs> but so I'm the upset one because he responded to something I said. Well, it seemed like he was almost saying something about you, and then you responded to that. Yeah, but he didn't have to say something about you. No. Okay. So how how am I upset? He went first. Exactly. God, I, I don't even know. Like I feel like this is just getting ridiculous with KD it's, and them. It's too much, right? I, he's not. He's playing around. Yeah, just let him. It's it's a joke, right? Those guys are having the media every day. Yeah, you got to entertain yourself, don't you? Yes. I, I don't. I wouldn't call it salty. I would call it. He just got done with the long playoff run. He's back in front of the media, and he's just sort of screwing around. Yeah, just guys, leave me be, bro. I'm, I have a little fun with my buddy on Twitter. Like we have a good time on the leave podcast. Me Let me ride. All right. Anyway, coming up next, uh, could KD make McCullough even matter by joining the Lakers? Uh, plus, training camp as much about off-field issues and on-field issues, on-field development. Uh, where Aaron Donald and Rob Gronkowski stand with their deals next on Off the Bench with Canell and Bell. So. 
we got to talk about a segment, which I love. It's called Read and React. I'm going to read you a story, and I want you to read Oh, I'm going to react. And then we're going to argue. All right. Could you tell me how it is Adam Schefter's reporting? This can't be true, but he's reporting that he believes the 2017 Defensive Player of the Year, who's under contract, yeah. will never play another down under that current contract until the Rams give him an extension. Good you for react. him. Good for him. Good for him, and I'll tell you why. Outrage. You know what? Yeah, I, I could have figured as much, but here, here's the deal with, with um, Aaron Donald as I see it. Like, he sees Von Miller, J.J. Wyden, those guys are getting upwards of $16 million a year, and yeah, I get that you're locked in, and under the system that I'm accustomed to, I've lived this. I see guys that are backing me up, making more money than me. I'm locked in. It's guaranteed money. If I get hurt, you still got to pay it to me. If I outperform the contract, you I, that's what I get paid. But in the NFL, if I don't perform, you're going to rip my contract up and tell me to kick rocks. So when I'm outperforming the contract, the only leverage I have is to tell you I'm not playing football anymore to get paid commensurate to what I'm doing. And he's not getting paid right now. That's the maybe the best defensive player in the NFL. He's outperformed the contract. It's five years of the deal. He's making a fraction of what these guys make, David. What's he supposed to do? Get a better union. If that's your issue. True. Number two, you're going to sit out a full year. Good. As a management guy, sit out the year. I'm more than happy to have you sit out. That's a year of your prime that you don't get to play. No problem by me. You signed a contract. Do it. Okay. Next. Now you're telling me, wait, wait, hold on. (laughs) You're telling me that Aaron Donald, right? The heart and soul of that defense as a GM, you'd be, it would be as easy and you'd be as callous as saying, go ahead and go ahead and sit out. Play my violin. Gosh, bro. Play my violin. Need to go to find a deal. Play your play. Play. I don't want to negotiate with you. Tell my agent. You want to start? Yeah. <laughs> I'll get you a raise, man. Come on. All right. Assuming the Patriots and Gronk are working towards a deal. Yeah. Gronk has also said he has never come close to holding out. He's going to make eight point nine one bones this season. Last year, they gave Gronk a $5.5 million incentive package. Two days before this year's draft, he told Belichick that he plans to play in 18. How do you react to that? So I think that's a cultural thing there in in, um, in New England, right? Like, So we just talked about Aaron Donald. Uh, they don't have that culture in place. That, that hasn't – these guys, I don't want to say brainwashed, but they've been indoctrinated into the league, and they've been taught the ropes by a franchise, the way they expect their professionals to handle their business. And I think Gronk falls in line with that. He is also grossly underpaid. You got Jimmy Graham at 13 and a quarter – you got Greg Olson at 12.35, and you got Gronk looking at those guys like, yo, dude, I'm making $9 million. Like that. Relatively underpaid. Right, right. But, but point being, he's not out there griping and holding out because he understands that the way they do business there, uh, for the better, you know, for the better look of the franchise and for things to continue to move in the right direction, you're trying to win championships. They're bigger fish to fry. That, but I think the Patriots also get it. The Patriots take care of people. Um, to some degree, while you still got some tread left on the tire because they kick you to the curb when you don't. Yeah. Uh, but while there's still some tread, they try to make it work. And I think that speaks uh, more to the way that he's been, the way he's been brought up in the NFL, the way he conducts himself and the way he handles his business. I agree. I think it's hard. When you talk about teams repeating, I'm looking at what the Warriors have done in the NBA. It's hard to keep egos in check and to keep players aiming for the same thing. Like with the Cubs, you win a World Series, everyone's together, everything's great. And then after that, it's sort of, hey, we already won. But what they've done in New England, they just win and then they win and then they win a little more. And when you look back at Gronk's legacy, whether his net worth is $100 million or $94 million, he's going to be looked at as one of the all-time greats because he was a winner. No doubt. All right. Now, another cool one. Take it or leave it. These stories are hard to imagine. I'm going to ask you and you're going to tell me if you take it or leave it. Kevin Durant, will he join the Lakers next offseason? David, I'm going to leave that. Um... 
first of all, I don't know how his reputation would ever like sustain moving to another like possible super team. So, and that's what they would be if he wound up going there to play with LeBron um, in the Lakers. He already did it with Golden State after he left Oklahoma City. I don't know that his legacy could sustain that. Um, but I, you know, he's before he went to OKC. He had articles coming out in the ESPN, the magazine, and Sports Illustrated about being sick of being number two. He wanted to be number one. He trains against LeBron. He plays against LeBron. And he's always looking at LeBron like, yo, I'm just as good. I want to be number one. I want the mantle, right? Whether Never be as good as LeBron. But if you go and you play second fiddle to LeBron in the Lakers, you're never going to achieve that goal. Like in Golden State, he's got an opportunity possibly. Even though Steph Curry um, – and Clay Thompson have been there before him. He, he's the guy. Like everybody knows, when it comes push comes to shove, Scotty Pippen's a top fifteen NBA history, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he is. Never the guy. Why but, can't you go and be play with LeBron and be part of a duo that wins titles and you become one of the greatest players of all time and have rings? I would love it. Like honestly, as a basketball guy, I would love to see it. I just don't know that he can afford. I thought his quote, Raja, was fascinating. He said, "I thought it was the perfect decision, the perfect move." This is on LeBron moving to LA. He did everything you're supposed to do in Cleveland. The perfect next step for him. He's kind of breaking down the barriers of what an NBA superstar is supposed to be. I don't know what that means. We'll talk about it. You feel like you're supposed to just play it in one spot. I think he did a good job of giving you different chapters. It's going to make his book more interesting when it's done. Is he setting up the fact that he wants to do it? Because that's what that quote sort yeah, of smells it's like. Cryptic. I, you, you may be right, and it does sound like that from the quote. And today's NBA player, they, they are just built different than the way we were built. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a fact. Like they, it's different. They see the mobility. They have the power, and, and they use it. And good for them. Again, I just want to – Kevin Durant has an opportunity in Golden State – to really put his stamp on being the best player in the game. He runs off a few more championships, and obviously he's the guy who's winning finals MVPs. It's there. He goes and joins LeBron, and he does it. There's always going to be asterisks next to both of their names. We said that when he joined the Warriors. Yeah. We said if they, he wins with the Warriors, there's going to be an asterisk. Guess what? There's no asterisk. I think he should go to L.A. Yeah. Because it gives him a chance to be part of one of the greatest franchises of all time and to keep winning. And all of a sudden, he becomes this iconic player who is able to mix and match with other teammates in other cities now, and keep on winning. That's kind of interesting though. That's kind of interesting because that, that that could be the argument for like the LeBron and the KD if there were ever to be an argument, I'm better than Jordan. right? Jordan had everything around him in one place. Nobody knows if he could have taken those skill sets to other places, plugged them in and won. to the Wizards and stunk. He was 72 years old. He, he's, um, is, was he 72? <laughs> I had him playing at 40. <laughs> All right, now the guy that I'm going to say take it or leave it. I can't stand talking about this guy, but we're doing it. I want to talk about Carmelo Anthony. Does he deserve to be a starter in the NBA? Numerically, like his numbers say that he does. I mean, he was, what was he, 17, 18 points a game? That's that's pretty good for a small forward in the NBA. That's not an all-star level or or all-NBA top three teams level starter, but those are starting numbers. Um but does he deserve to be a starter like on a team like Houston uh, or Oklahoma City where there may be pieces in place um, that already do the brunt of the scoring, i.e. James Harden and CP3? No, probably not. You need a defensive wing out there. Do you have him as a championship player? I want to talk about his quote, and then I want to ask you this question because this quote's amazing. I know how to play this game of basketball. I've been playing it for a long time. When I feel like I'm ready to take that role, then I'll take that role. This is on starting. Only I know when it's best for me to take that role. I'm not going to do that in a situation where I still know my capabilities and what I can do. That's 13 eyes in one quote. <laughs> 13 eyes in one quote. And I'll tell you who is not qualified to say 
when it's time for you to stop starting. You. You're the only one that doesn't know. Typically in that situation as a player, you're the only one that doesn't know what's going on. Everyone else can see what's happening and, and you don't. It's just the nature, it's the nature of the ego that you have to have to play at that level. I'm going to ask you another take it or leave it, which is off script, but I have to. Is Carmelo Anthony a championship player? At this point, I'd have to say no. I mean, just I look. Think he takes a team right down the crapper. To your point about the eyes in, 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 in the quote, like if you're still, you're, you're going to a team that could have beaten Golden State last year, took him to game seven and had it, we're, we're leading at halftime. When you go in there, you should go in there like whatever you need me to do. I got you. Let's get this done. You're still going in there on the I know what's best for me and I'll, Dude, you don't even, you're not even coming in with the right mindset. Yeah. That's what Carmelo Anthony for me does for teams. Yep. I just, I find it to be that he will not help a team win a championship, which is why the odds of the Rockets winning the title went down when the rumor was that Carmelo Anthony was going to the Rockets. Yep. Statistically, it's true. Well, we have a very cool thing coming up after this break. We've got the Wolfpack, right? Off the bench, Wolfpack grows by one when we come back because the NC State coach, yeah. this is the guy, Dave Doran, is coming to the podcast, so you stay tuned. Great hangover reference. <laughs> okay, welcome back to Off the Bench with uh, Canell and Bell. Uh, our guest is Dave Doran, the head coach of the NC uh, Wolfpack. They, they're coming off a 9-4 season, a win in the Sun Bowl. Uh, they open September 1st uh, against James Madison. James Madison, thanks for coming on with us, coach. Appreciate it. All right. So last year, you guys were tied for the winningest season in NC State, NC State football since 2002 with nine victories. Um, how does the offseason anticipation and excitement level around the program change when you're coming off a successful season like that? It gives you momentum. I mean, it's a springboard, you know, just for the positive mindset you want your guys to have. Uh, but there's also, you know, a lot of things we can work on. Our guys know that. Kind of the approach we take as a program, you know. I mean, we're going to study what we've done, good and bad, and learn from it either way, and have a plan to get better. And stepping in, you know, the biggest part of that off season is getting your your new senior class to become the leaders that uh, you want them to be, and to continue to try to raise the bar for what the last group of seniors did. That's the key. Hey, this is David Sampson instead of Danny Cannell here. Uh, thanks for coming on, Coach. So quick question. You've had success in, you know, building the program. And the thing with coaching and, you know, we've all hired and, and a lot of managers in baseball and et cetera, you're going to be sought after by other major college programs. So when you get offers, whether they come now or next year, how do you basically sort of navigate those offers and how do you deal with your players when your name's being mentioned in those discussions? Yeah, well, you know, I don't worry about that. It's if it happens, excuse me, if it happens, it happens. It's always about trying to make this place the best that I can make it. And, and I love it here. Um, my sons, I have three sons in schools here that love their schools, and my family, my wife, everybody, you know, community-wise, we've got great friends. And, and last year, when things like that happened, I mean, it's just a matter of making sure that staying was the, the best thing for not just me and my family, but for our staff and. We don't want to leave the players we've recruited. And so that's kind of the, the way I go about it. As far as my team, you know, that's a difficult thing. And had very open conversations with them once it was over. Um, but our approach, you know, the whole time has been to make NC State the best football program it's ever been. Yeah, that's. I, I just want to touch on that a little bit more about, I mean, obviously with the, the success that you've had there at NC State and you were one of the hottest commodities, you know, last summer, 
um, you know, I was a recruit. I had coaches kind of come into the house and, and I was recruited by one guy. He was fired. Um, I wound up playing for another guy at, at Boston University. Uh, talk about that balance of the, the commitment that you have to, you know, obviously self-interest in your family and, and, and possible upward mobility. And then to some of those kids who you may have sat in their, in their house with their parents and, and told them that you were going to take care of them for four, for four or five years. Like, how tough is that as a head coach? Well, yeah, I mean, you want to be a man in your word. And, you know, I don't guarantee those kind of things to recruits. I mean, you're not going to sit there and promise that you can be there for their career when I don't control administration, you know. So the biggest thing to do is you talk about, you know, your contract and your desire to stay through it and, and have it extended. And and I definitely have proved that I want to be here. I mean, had multiple options to leave. So it's uh, the place we want to be and. You know, I think when you're talking about upward mobility, that would be, you know, somebody offered me a job that gave me a better chance probably to win a championship than where I'm at. And I feel like I can win one here. I mean, this is a great place. It's a great city. We've got incredible recruiting uh, in the state of North Carolina. And so, you know, I think there isn't a whole lot that would get me out of this school. It's just such a great place to work and live and the quality of life and the way the people treat you. That's that's actually something that we talk about when we give long-term contracts to managers or coaches, and you got one, and you've talked about time and security as, as important factors staying in place. You've talked about the kids and how happy your family is, but how do you feel now that you've got that time security? Do you feel like that you can change what you're doing with your program or accomplish something differently than if you're on a year-to-year contract? We can recruit differently. I mean, it's not going to change how I work. I mean, there's you know, at this age, you're pretty much programmed on how hard and how long and, and why you do what you do. Um, but to walk into a house or have a, you know, recruiting their family on the phone or in your office and be able to say that you have five years on your deal, a lot different than what I was saying when I had two. And so, you know, they want somebody that's going to be with them uh, throughout their journey. And that's a better conversation for me. And it's, and it's made an impact. I mean, you look at this current class that we have committed and, the best class probably on paper that we've had at this point since I've been at state, maybe in the history of the program. So those kind of things do matter. So look, obviously coaching uh, matters tremendously to, to uh, have a nine and four season, but you also have to have players and you've got a good one at quarterback, Ryan Finley, um, a guy, you know, being mentioned is having a lot of pro potential. How special of a senior season can he have? Uh, Ryan has a chance to be the best quarterback in college football. I mean, he's got good receivers. He's got a great offensive staff with him. He's got uh, probably the best center in college football, snapping it to him. And his skill set, his, his the way he thinks, uh, his you know com- complete grasp of not only our offense but understanding what college defenses can do to him. It's elite. And so you know a lot of it is just going to be him staying within the process and not getting you know, too far ahead of himself and making sure that, you know, he continues to just do the things that he's done day to day to get to this point. I'm going to switch gears now because I want to talk about something. It's so great to have a college coach on the line. And one thing we debate here on the air all the time is sort of the college football playoff system. Everyone's up in arms with how the rankings happen and everyone talks about it, which may be the point of it. But in in your view, tell me, what would you change? How many teams? How should it actually work? We're taking a poll. <laughs> I think it's pretty good, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I think the, the problem you have is the regular season and, and championship games <clears throat> that have you know added into our schedules 
create a long season as is um, with the one bye week. I mean, you're talking about 13 weeks in a normal season plus a championship game plus, you know, a bowl game and another bowl game if you make it all the way. And they've, you know, reduced the number of scholarships, you know, from 120 to 85. So the attrition and player safety and all those things that go into a season and people have to think more than just, you know, hey, let's have a playoff. I mean, it, it would be hard on these guys physically, mentally, a- academically to do those things. Um, you know, we do decide the championship game on the field. Uh, whether you put eight teams, 12 teams, six teams in there, you don't have somebody that complains that they got left out. So, you know, the top four I think is a great way to do it. And, you know, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors when they're picking the top four teams. But, you know, I know there's a lot of very talented people in there discussing it and just got to put your faith in them that they're doing the right thing coach when i grew up acc conference was mostly known for its basketball um but you guys are you guys are a really really tough football conference right now can you kind of speak to where the acc is right now in terms of you know its strength in football and and, and why you see that you know trending <clears throat> you bet. Well, I, I just think you know there's incredible coaches in this league i mean you talk i think seven of the top 20 um winning as coaches, active coaches in the country or in our league now. And, you know, you're playing week in and week out against really, really good players. I mean, us in the SEC are top one and two in the NFL for active players in the league. And we were number one in the Pro Bowl for players present in the Pro Bowl as a conference. You know, on the football field, our recruiting blueprint, um, you know, being Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, I mean – some of the top football players geographically in the country. And, and so it is an incredible place. And if you look at this representation and the Heisman and the Outland Trophy and all the national awards, we've had as many or more than any other conference the last three years. So it's a tremendous place to play and compete. And uh, the neighborhood is very tough. Well, one of those games is going to be uh, I'm looking forward to on October 20th. You know, fans love to, love when there's some sort of bickering or competition or off-the-field chicanery. Tell me, when you guys play Clemson, is it going to feel different? Are you going to put in some trick plays and try to absolutely crush them this year? <laughs> we have trick plays every year uh, <laughs> for Clemson. But, I mean, that's part of what we do. We always try to have a little bit of funk with what we do, but uh keeps it fresh for the fans and, and for the players. But, uh, you know, I mean, we respect the heck out of Clemson. I mean, they've beaten us every year. We've played within one one play uh, with them several times. And, you know, to their credit, they've gotten it done. And we've got to perform better at the end of these games and, and find a way to win. But uh, they're the team to beat in our league. And it's without a doubt a huge game. I mean, it has been for a long time. The, it used to be the Texas Bowl between the two schools and, it's a lot of history that goes back. So look forward to playing them and everybody else on our schedule. Hey, Coach, can you talk to me about your real-world Wednesdays where you bring in, you know, people from outside, like strictly the football universe, um, you know, to interact with the team? Can you talk to me about that and, and, and what you think it does for the, for the team? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Um, you know, we, we really take a lot of pride in building young men, not just football players. And, and there's three pieces to it, that obviously the academic and athletic side, but the, the cultural side, the manhood side is something that we spend a lot of time on every Wednesday from the beginning of our January semester to the first day of fall camp. We're going to bring in somebody to talk to him about life outside of football. Uh, most recently, it was Inky Johnson, who's a great motivational speaker, former athlete at Tennessee, 
uh, we've had etiquette uh, people come in. We've had uh, financial advisors come in to talk about budgeting their money. We've had domestic violence, uh, alcohol, drug abuse, uh, you name it, and, and we bring them in. And sometimes it's just someone on our staff. Sometimes it's someone from the outside world, a former player, the NFLPA came in, talked about NFL. And it's just a way to educate them uh, on life. And we always talk about chasing two dreams, life with football and life without it. And, you know, I think that's lip service if you don't do the necessary things and, and commit the time to it. And I've seen a lot of our players grow uh, through those things. So it's been a pleasure to, to incorporate that. We've been doing that now for four and a half years. And uh, I'm glad we do it because there's a lot of things going on in the world, not just in sports, that when you click on CNN or you click on ESPN.com, there's a lot of stories popping up on people out there making poor choices and there's consequences for all of us and i don't want our guys to be in those situations if we can help it yeah coach i think it's great people don't realize when they're college athletes they don't realize how quickly it can all come to an end because you become a senior and all of a sudden you're in that real world so we're going to go to something called superlatives so i'm going to ask you a question and in a one word just answer and tell me what's on your mind the best former nc state quarterback in the nfl do you take philip rivers or do you take Russell Wilson? <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to say Philip Rivers because he's been there longer. There you, you know, go. Uh, say, Wait All right. Way to navigate that. Way to navigate it. All right, Coach. First word yeah. that comes to mind when you see your new uniforms. Uh, I'm going to have to say lit. Lit? Lit. There you go. I like that. Oh Fire. Yeah. God. There you go. <laughs> I can't believe I just heard that. <laughs> so you're so I'm a Badger, by the way. So I I saw your experience at Wisconsin, my, my favorite place on earth. You coach JJ Watt. I think it's a Badger, right? I did. Okay. What is the best JJ Watt work ethic story that you can share that he did that you saw him do when he was a Badger? Well, I'm just going to give you a little insight to his mindset more than it's uh, you know day in and day out grind that you guys see on TV. Uh, and he transferred and walked on. And uh, as you guys know, walk-ons aren't guaranteed scholarships. They earn them. And he walked in my office and, and uh, coach looking forward to being here. And, you know, he was a tight end at the other college. And I'm going to play defensive end. How long will it take me to earn a scholarship? And I said, well, how long is it going to take you to beat somebody out and be a starter? I said, once that happens, you'll have one. He said, well, I'll have one by the end of the month then. <laughs> you know, most people it takes two to three years. So this gives you a little bit of idea of, you know, his confidence and his ability and to his credit he did it. Oh, that's awesome. Coach, uh thanks for coming on with this man. Great good luck this season uh in the ACC. Uh guys, Dave Doran, head coach of the NC State uh football program. Thanks again, coach. Thanks, coach. Thanks for having me again. Let's go pack. Time now for your refresh. The Cubs have a deal in place to acquire left-handed pitcher Cole Hamels from the Rangers, according to multiple reports. And in New York, Yankees keep making moves, trading for all-star pitcher Jay Happ in exchange for third baseman Brandon Jury and the Yankees' 20th-ranked prospect outfielder Bill McKinney. In the NFL, according to reports, nothing is imminent between Rob Gronkowski and the Patriots. Gronk is due to make $8 million this season. Prior to last season, the Patriots restructured Gronk's deal for 2017, adding over $5 million in incentives. The tight end then went all out and turned in a first-team All-Pro season where he caught 69 passes for 1,084 yards and six touchdowns. Carmel Anthony refused to come off the bench last season with OKC, and he doesn't seem like he's willing to do it this year either, unless it's his call. 
Mello said, quote, when I feel like I'm ready to take on that role, then I'll take that role. I'm not going to do that in a situation where I still know my capabilities and what I can do. That was your refresh. Time now for your Friday five-star Q&A. You guys know how this works. If you leave a review on our iTunes, ask us a question. We have to answer it, whatever it may be. And we're going to start with the man, the myth, the legend, off the bench, Canelo Bell's number one fan, CB Morning. And actually, it's a question for you, David. So he said, David, as an executive, what really goes into making trade deals beginning to end? How many people, <clears throat> excuse me, how many people are really involved in making a deal happen? At the end of the day, it's the owners of the team. Everyone will say it's the GMs and the presidents of baseball operations. But the fact of the matter is the owners are approving the trades. You've got all the way down to scouts and you've got advanced scouts and pro scouts and amateur scouts looking at the players you're getting because you're dealing with minor league players most often. And then you've got the top baseball people making the suggestions. But at the end of the day, no matter what anyone tries to spin, owners are going to give the yay or nay on a trade. Another one for you, David. This one's from Savid Damson. He says, Mr. Samson, <laughs> can you share your favorite Ichiro Suzuki story? I hope it's a good one. My favorite Ichiro story. That's a great one. The first conference call we had when we were trying to sign him, he was in Japan. We had a translator on the phone. I was on the phone with the owner and the president of baseball operations. We asked Ichiro whether he'd be willing to be a fourth outfielder because he had been a starter Hall of Famer. He answers in Japanese for about 45 <laughs> seconds, and the translator says, yes. <laughs> and I said, hold on. It sounds like he said more. Could you please ask him again? This is very, very important. The translator goes on for another 90 seconds, and then I say, and Ichiro said, yes. That was it. <laughs> I asked Ichiro about it later, and we had a great laugh about it. It turns out he was talking about the fact that where he was going to dinner that night. <laughs> He's a great sport. All right, another one from Mrs. Levitard. She says, if you were to have a track meet with athletes from all sports, who would you pick to be on your 4x100 team? Raja, who's leading off? Yeah, oh, that's tough. Um, yeah, I'd probably, it's got to be football, basketball, right? Like, if we're talking about other sports for me. So, um, I don't know baseball like that, so. Me a break. I know you're gonna tell me some outfielders, no, shortstop. All right, who's your first? I'm gonna go with Mike Wallace. Okay, I'm going Eric Reed. Played center field for one year. He was so fast. He was lightning. Okay, for the Marlins. That's two. Russell Westbrook. Okay, and and for me, I want Carl Lewis on performance enhancing drugs. Boom. As my anchor. That's your anchor. Just bring it home. Bring it. All right, that's it. Uh, um, uh, a combined four by one hundred team. All right, last one from Maria Hazonia, number one fan. Raja, this is a question for you. We asked Danny this previously, and he was not able to answer it. He says, Raja, can you name the starting teammates on your high school teams? Oh, wait. Um, that's been, what? I don't know. Uh, 50 years. Don't yeah. Say it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can do that. I'm good with names. Uh, point guard, we had Dwayne Thompson. I uh, played football, and then he'd come over and play basketball with us. We had a kid named Eric Passan. He and I were like the twos and the threes, so we were our wings. Uh, we had a kid named Eric. Peters at the four. Yeah, Eric Peters. He was a little younger than us. And then our big man was a kid named Jimmy Lockhart. So that was our starting five. I could go down the rest, too. I think. By I, the way, you know, we can't prove you wrong. <laughs> I know. You could have said anything. Let me give shout-outs to Kid Zielinski, uh, Georgie Garcia, uh, Jason Marks. The list goes on and on, Hannah. I'm good with names. I don't know what to tell Raja, you. you killed it. Honestly, Danny was like, I mean, there was there was complete silence. He could not name. I think, right, he named like one person. Anyways. 
you definitely won that one. <laughs> I'm happy you were able to do that. That was your five-star Q&A. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We'll answer all of your burning questions. And go ahead and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Raja, what's coming up next? Uh, coming up next, we've got LeBron's regret, a former Miami Heat player heading to China. Um, and by the way, I love this. I love this. Ichiro Suzuki story it was fantastic. Uh, all that's next on Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Um, let's throw it to you, Debo. Let's go back to you for some topics. So it was the summer of LeBron again, but it's also developing into the summer of LeBron James Jr. His oldest son is getting a lot of publicity, and even the other night, one of his AAU games had to be canceled for security purposes. But in a preview clip for LeBron's new show, The Shop, on HBO, LeBron said that he regrets naming his son after himself. But really, if he was named anything else, James, would it make a difference in terms of the pub he's getting? Probably not. And the fact that, that you're on record as saying you're going to play in the NBA with your son, it really doesn't matter what his name is. That The fact is that he's your son, and you've said that he's going to play in the NBA with you. That's enough pressure. I think LeBron is shocked that he had a son that ends up being good at basketball. Yeah. Like, is that sort of, oh, my God, I can't believe it. He's a chess player. Right. I would get that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? When I was naming my son, and clearly I'm not LeBron James, but my wife did not want us to name him Raja because she felt there there'd be a lot of pressure on him to, you know, live up to whatever – you know, success I had had in basketball or anything else. And so she didn't want that for him. So we gave him my middle name, which is Dia. So I, like, I understand, you know, watching the pressure on your son and wanting to keep it off of him. But again, LeBron, if you're talking about playing with your son in the NBA on your team in a few years, I think the pressure's right if there at, he is at home. good, everyone's going to know yeah. he's your son. Yeah, true. true. No matter what you call him. By the way, that LeBron show looks pretty good. He had Snoop Dogg. He had Odell Beckham Jr. He had Maverick Carter. He had John Stewart there. So a whole collection in this barbershop that debuts August 28th. Stefan Mar- Marbury with the uh, old school assist on this next topic. Lamar Odom has had a treacherous couple years, uh, but appears to be headed towards playing basketball again in China, crediting Starbury, a star in China, for the inspiration. The two-time champ of the Lakers last played with the Clippers in 2013, but now planning to head to China. I think it's great. Um, I'm, I'm glad to see Lamar's kind of getting things turned around a little bit. You know, basketball is one of those things, if, if, if your life, um, for one reason or another, is kind of off the rails, you know, basketball is his love and maybe that's something that can get him recentered and refocused on what's important and so to have it back in his life to maybe be able to do it professionally again i think it's a it's a good deal i just hope that he brings support with him because yeah. you're in a foreign country can get lonely especially when there's a language issue and when you're lonely you can sometimes turn to bad habits that you used to have so i hope that if he goes to china now that he's going he brings someone with him not a reality show not a camera not a kardashian but someone who's real facts this next one is just a picture that I saw in the internet with not much context, and I just laughed at because it's Ken Griffey Jr. and former Miami Hurricane Ed Reed, and Ed Reed just looks old as hell. He's less than four, he's thirty-eight years old. I know. I was gonna say, as younger to me, man, he used to be at University of Miami when I was graduating at FIU. Um, man, that's two goats right there, though. I can't believe it. I'm looking at that picture of Griffey, and I'm thinking that. I figured when he stopped playing, he would turn into Ken Griffey Sr. Yeah. And now he looks like Ken Griffey Sr. And I'm freaking out. <laughs> oh, my flying, God. Man. It's going. Yeah. Two goats for sure. That's quite a picture you found there. <laughs> Talk about a maybe another goat in the rap game. Lil Wayne decides to send some autographed CDs to none other than 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan. And the reason behind this 
Shanahan, when his son was born, was so into Lil Wayne that he named his kid after Lil Wayne. He named his kid Carter, the namesake for all of Lil Wayne's albums. I think the Carter 3 was out around that time his kid was born. But uh, just kind of a surprising storyline here. Would not have seen that one coming. Um, I don't even know what to say to that. Is he going to put, like, tear tattoos on his face of his kid? Come on. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan. I got a little respect for Kyle Shanahan now. I didn't know. Let me find out. I'm learning. I'm learning. Did you stuff. call him? Do you have him on speed dial? Who's that? Uh, Shanahan? Shanahan or no, no. Wayne. Any of them. Got nobody. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is the, that's the show. I had fun today, bro. Um, you got to forgive the driving again. But, you were great. All right. We, you just you always said it was the Bell and Canal. You didn't say with Samson. With Samson. All right. So guys, that's episode one hundred and one. I got to get out in the hard out. Danny's out next week, so you you got me in the driver's seat with some good stuff planned. Uh, thanks again to David. As always, download and subscribe and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canal and Bell. <laughs>